Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Did you see Diane emailed about getting that meeting on the books? I did, yes. I I feel like it's probably going to be our last meeting for a while. I know. If we have a strike, it definitely is. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Ojai, right outside of LA. And with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. And it is time for our spring listener questions episode. It's almost not spring anymore. We're yeah. <laughs> have to get this in. We got so many great questions questions. There might be two listener questions episodes. We'll have to see how many we can get through today. Yes. And Sarah, before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that my sister Gretchen's new book is out. It's called Life in Five Senses. It's great. It's beautiful. It has an awesome cover. I think it makes the perfect Mother's Day gift. So get out there and get Life in Five Senses. You know, my favorite thing about the book is when you open it up, it has that beautiful green paper with white quotes on it. And I was just like, it immediately filled me with joy. Yes. And you know what? I said that to Gretchen. I said, like, I've never seen that before. I Uh -uh. guess it's very rare. She calls that end papers. She said she fought very hard to get that. And I think it looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I love it. Love, love, love. Okay. Sarah, our first question is from Meredith. She says, fantasy island question. Regarding the spot where the plane lands and departs and the guests are greeted, is that an actual physical location? If so, where is it located? It is so beautiful. Yes, that is an actual location. It's part of the property of the Hyatt Rio Grande. It's sort of next to the hotel. It's it's like a two-minute drive from the hotel. And it is absolutely stunning. And windy. And very windy. <laughs> What was interesting is, so season one, Rourke's office was actually on the Rio Grande proper property. And season two, we moved it to that beach. So the plane lands and departs there and Rourke's office, we built on that beach. And we also have various cafes and bars that we do on that beach. And we pretend that Rourke's office is somewhere totally different. Yes, as one (laughs) does in television. (laughs) 
Okay, Amy asked, how much external support do you have to manage all your projects and businesses? Assistant, lawyer, agent, podcast support, etc. You cover so many areas, and I know you both work your bottoms off, but I'd love to understand who else is part of the team. Well, it really depends based on what we're doing. If we're running a show, then we have the whole staff of the show, which includes an assistant. We don't usually have an assistant if we're not running a show or on a deal, which we're not right now. We're flying by the seat of our pants. Yes. <laughs> But yes, we have a lawyer who has been on the show, who's fantastic. We don't have an agent anymore. We used to. We have our manager, Diane Fraser. Our lawyer and manager are the two people who help us with our TV side of things. For the podcast, of course, Chuck is the (laughs) number one person uh, supporting us. And then there's a whole team at Cadence 13 who deals with ads and things like that. And that, Sarah, I guess that's it, right? That's our yes. That's our the, team. We both my, have accountants. Yeah. Yes, we both have accountants. And I have, in Minnesota, I have some wonderful people who <laughs> help me take care of my property there. Yes. And then we both also have nannies. Oh, yes. Wonderful. Cynthia is Jack's nanny, and Dawn is Violet's nanny, and we wouldn't be able to do all of this without them. So true. But yeah, it definitely, we need all that support. For sure. Kathleen asks, when you have a show like Fantasy Island that has different character stories every week, but then a longer story arc for characters like Rourke, Ruby, and Javier, do you write the story arc portions and give the rest of the episode to other writers, or are other writers expected to know the full history of the show so they can continue the story arc? Well, first of all, we figure out each episode as a group, so every they wouldn't just be expected to go off and do that on their own. But yes, everyone is expected to write both the weekly story and the ongoing story. And everyone who would be on the show would would be 100% aware of what that is. Now, it is harder when we have freelancers, but, you know, we just fill them in on what's happening and they're able to do it. Yeah, and Liz and I will usually come up with sort of the broad picture story arcs for our main characters, but then... We were talking about them with the writers, and they evolve and change with the entire writing staff. So they're really part of creating that overall arc, too. Uh, And then, Liz, we got an interesting question from Torrance, who wrote, We've heard a lot about your humble beginnings and current successes, but I wonder what do you hope to achieve by retirement if you plan on retiring? What are the top five career milestones you still want to hit? All right. Well, the main one is to have enough money to retire. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> the big one. Yes. And then our old goal, our former goal was to get two seasons of a show. So now our new goal is to get three seasons of a show, which hopefully yes. will happen. And then our new goal will be four seasons. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, we're working on this book. I think one of our goals now is to publish at least one book and yeah. hopefully more. Sarah, I have to say, I'm wanting to, you know, and have it be a success. I mean... <laughs> Well, yes, that's true. Have a successful book. Yes. Yes. Frankly, that we then turn into IP. Like it, it's a it's a longer term yes. Yes, goal. And we would like to have two or more shows on the air at once. Yes. That's a big goal for us. And <laughs> we're so practical. And then paying for college. <laughs> yes. We would like to pay for our children's college, have that in the rear view mirror. Yes. So if we manage to get three or more seasons of a show and multiple shows at once, 
We should be able to do that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> then we should be able to pay for college. Yeah. Catherine asked, whatever happened to Sarah going vegan? I've been vegan just over a year and love it. It's basically closed my migraine issues. Whole wow. food, plant-based vegan is a bit much, but being a normal person and eating vegan is completely possible. So, Sarah, how is your veganism? <laughs> my, uh, what happened to my going vegan was the pandemic and my amazing stepmom coming and taking over feeding us. <laughs> which was incredibly generous of her, but she is not vegan and, and wasn't really going to fully embrace the whole vegan thing. So I just let that go. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I do think it's a wonderful way to eat and it's excellent for the planet. So my goal is to get more back into probably not a vegan diet because I do have chickens. <laughs> I love eggs. So vegetarian. I'm heading yes. toward vegetarian. Okay. Oh, and then Aaron asked if I like the wedge pillow, which yes, I do sleep with it every night. She also asked how I'm feeling about Ojai these days. I would say my- Good question. Yes. My feelings about Ojai are much improved. Violet's very happy here, which is of course my- first priority. And I, you know, I'm still figuring it out. I got her straightened out and settled and like <laughs> all good. So now I'm like, okay, now I'm next. Yes. Now you need to enjoy all the things that you loved about Ojai. Yes. When you didn't live there. Yes. And on this same subject, Sally said, is Sarah still spinning on her wheel? Does she knit or crochet? What kinds of projects? And is she using her sauna? I am spinning on my wheel, but not as often. I need to get back to it, but I have been knitting. I just finished a really pretty shawl and now I'm making a sweater for Violet. And I'm not using my sauna because it's in boxes in my garage because <laughs> I don't know where to put it after I moved. So Can, as soon as I figure that out. Does it have to be inside the house or could you set it up outside the house? I want to set it up outside the house, but I have to build something to go okay. around it and protect it from weather. So that'll be great. I know. I'm very excited for that future event. Yes. Christine said, do you have a lot of friends asking you to read their scripts or their friends or adult child scripts? How do you handle that? Yeah, this was an interesting question to me because earlier in our career, we 100% had people asking us all the time and we were asking people all the time. It was much more, everybody wasn't quite sure of what they were doing and they wanted a lot of feedback and we wanted a lot of feedback. I feel like now, like our friends are not really in need of our notes and they have their own stuff going on. But we do get asked by people to read their scripts. Yes. And then more often, like with a friend's adult child, they'll say, will you talk to them? Will you go to lunch yeah. with them? We do a lot of telling people about the business and offering advice more than we do actual reading of their scripts. And I mean, I have to say we're, as most writers are, we're, we're, <laughs> Very slow about reading scripts. So it it yeah. can take a lot of nap. In fact, when someone when we do say we'll read someone's script, we tell them please nag us like once a week, email us and 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 poke us because 
it takes us a while often to get that job done. Yes, unless we're reading to staff a show. Then oh, we're well, more that's... likely, I mean, then we'll read everyone we get sent, but I mean, then we're more likely to also open it up and read those scripts that we've been like, yeah, we'll read it, yeah. We'll read yeah, it. <laughs> yes, then we're in reading mode. Yes. yes, we're kind of either in reading mode or not in reading mode. I am currently not in reading mode. <laughs> not script reading mode anyway. No, <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, coming up, we've got a question from Gretchen, my sister, but First is break. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Liz, our next question is from Gretchen Rubin, your wonderful sister. Her question is about memorization. How do actors memorize their lines? Are they expected to be word perfect or is it okay if this becomes that, etc.? How much notice do actors typically get to master the material? Have you ever had to deal with an actor who just couldn't remember lines? If I'm remembering correctly, on the Friends reunion special, they talked about how Courtney Cox would write lines on different parts of the set and one day someone, either Matthew Perry or Matt LeBlanc, pranked her by erasing them, and she was so furious. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, well, here's what's interesting. Some people can just naturally remember lines. Like, I remember hearing about Don Johnson on Nash Bridges could come in, glance at a scene, and have it memorized as soon as he read through it. Other people, you know, it takes more work. How much notice they get really varies. We always try to have a script basically ready a week early. But of course, at that point, the actors are still memorizing their lines from the current week. So usually what I notice, Sarah, is that they start memorizing the night before a scene or the day before. And then in between, usually what we do is rehearse a scene and then they light it and then shoot it. And it's usually probably, what, 45 minutes between rehearsal and shooting. And that 45 minutes seems to be when they really nail it down. Yes. And then 
Have we ever had to deal with an actor who just couldn't remember lines? Yes. I would say multiple. Um, I think most actors are super prepared and like ready to go. But then there are some actors who for a variety of reasons have trouble remembering lines. Sometimes their brains just aren't in memorizing mode. And they're trying really hard, but they can't. And that's when you feel really bad because they feel terrible. And then there are people who are just like, "Eh, you know, la-di-da, I'll show up and do whatever. That fortunately is a, a pretty small group. Yeah, so what you do is it's kind of one of two things. Either you have the script supervisor standing just off set and they kind of feed them the lines one at a time. And then we have to cut it together as if it's all flowing we haven't had this, but we have. We know people who've had actors do this have actually an earpiece, and they're being fed the lines in their ear. That does happen. And we don't mind if they change little words. Some people do. Amy Sherman Palladino, who created Gilmore Girls and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, is notorious for wanting people, and Aaron Sorkin, like, are known for wanting everything word for word. We don't usually care as long as the idea doesn't change of what they're saying. Yeah. Like, we don't care about the little words. We care about the big words. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But it is, it's a big issue. And when someone has a monologue, they are definitely nervous, usually, and practicing and preparing for that. Yeah. And the main thing, if you have an actor who is having a hard time remembering their lines, is editing. Then it just all comes down to editing. And by the way, if we know someone has a hard time memorizing a lot of lines together, we'll just write them shorter lines. Yes. I mean, once you know that, you can write to that, depending who the character is. But we've many times said, okay, well, don't give, like, I'm thinking of one actor we had way back, Sarah, who couldn't memorize lines. Oh, yes. (laughs) And we would just give her the shortest lines possible. Yes. And then Michelle asked, since you both go so far back together, what's the silliest thing you're willing to admit to that you've argued over? (laughs) Um, Sarah, well, one of our most bitter fights was in, (laughs) we were working in the Hamptons in college and we were cleaning houses. And you and I were sent to clean a house after these kids had had a party. These teenagers had had a party and their parents were coming back in town. And they were panicked. And they were panicked. And I then, I mean, and this pattern, by the way, has continued throughout the next, (laughs) our entire career. I flew into panic mode and I was wanting to do a very surface job flying around the house, and you were more methodical and calm. (laughs) And we were fighting over, wait, what was the trash? It was the trash cans. It was like, I was like, we need to clean this house. They want to come back to, like, they want their parents to come back to a clean house. Like, we only have so much time. They can empty the stupid trash cans. And you were like, no, we have to empty the trash cans, which frankly, you're probably right. But like, (laughs) it's like, it was passionate. (laughs) Yes, and you were, like, picking things up and dusting, and I'm like, no, we have to fly through this house. And, I mean, of course, the funny thing is, I mean, neither of us were professional cleaners. We were sophomores in college. Anyway, we were in a big fight about it, and, uh, you know, it was quite funny. In retrospect. So that's when we were 19, I think, or 20, maybe. Yes, I think so. 
Margaret said, why is it so common for actors to be obviously holding empty paper coffee cups in scenes when you could put something weighted inside so that it better mimics full coffee cups? Seems obvious to me that you wouldn't want to actually put liquid in them so the actors would not spill on their costumes, but couldn't something else work? And if you know of a good solution, what is it? Well, I feel like when our actors, you are always holding something in a cup. They usually are. I think so, too, because if you're at certain angles, you could tell if there's something there or not. But I think, yeah, the reasons they don't are exactly the ones you pointed out, that it's just practical to not have any risk of spilling. I don't know. The hard thing is for people who do the empty cup thing, probably they're doing it because with lighting, it's so hard to tell what's see-through. Mm. And if you put a rock in there or, or if you, you know, like it, you would see it right at, in certain angles with the light and then you'd have to deal with it in post or just let it go. And I'm guessing that's the main reason for emptiness. Yeah, it's funny because some things are very last minute. So <laughs> say they're rehearsing a scene, say an actor decides, oh, I want to hold a cup. They're not ready with stuff or it's just yeah. nobody thinks it's important. And sometimes something that seems so unimportant to everybody there because everyone's focused on the blocking and the lighting and the performance and the, you know, and then you watch it back in editing and you go, why does it look like they're walking around with an empty coffee cup? And it <laughs> slips between the cracks. Yes. Remember, famously, speaking of coffee cups, Game of Thrones had a Starbucks cup. In a yes. Scene. And that. Oops. Was, oops. <laughs> Coming up, we have a question about what it means when the star of a show is an executive producer. But first, this break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, Liz, we're back with a question from Salmia who said, what does it mean when a star of a show is an executive producer? It's funny because this is one of those things where it can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, it can mean that the show originated with the actor. It can mean that a lot of times after a certain number of seasons, the lead of a show is made an executive producer. Maybe they're not season one, but season two or three or four, they are. It just sort of depends on that actor's deal. So it can mean a lot of different things. In a rare case, it can mean they're also a, like a writer and creator of the show, like let's say a Mindy Kaling situation. Mm -hmm. But normally the actor is not like in the writer's room or coming up with plots or any of that because they simply don't have time. It, it more is sort of just shows the importance of them to the show. 
lesson. It means they're actually creatively writing the show. Yeah. But it can mean that. Yeah. And it's also for, I mean, lead actors are so important to the tone of a set, to the professionalism of a set, to all of these things that happen while you're shooting. They really... They have more knowledge than anybody else because they're the most and they know the most people and they see the most dynamics happening and like they're super invested. So having a lead actor who is a really great number one on the call sheet, they deserve that credit because we're doing the overall executive producer stuff, but what they're doing is so important just on a daily basis. Yes, it's amazing. Yes, we're so lucky with Rosalind Sanchez, who is just amazing on set and amazing number one. Yeah. We call them, they're called the number one because they're number one on the call sheet. And then Camille asks, what did you study in college and where did you go? As someone who has multiple degrees, including a BS in broadcasting, but has barely done work in those degrees, I always enjoy hearing what people went to school for and what they ended up doing. So I went to Columbia in New York and I was an English lit major. And I went to Williams in Massachusetts and also... (laughs) An English lit major. Like, we, we, our path was very straight. Yes. <laughs> I have to say. I don't think either of us, in our wildest imaginations, thought we were going to be TV writers or really no. probably even writers at all. No, no, Liz. I was going to live in a cabin in Iowa and, oh. or, you know, like the mountains of North Carolina and, and, and write poems or something. Okay. I think <laughs> I thought that I would end up in publishing. Like I thought I would, which is not that far off. Yes. But I do think those were good degrees because they say, if you want to be a writer, you should read as much as possible. So I think reading as much as possible was a great major for us. Absolutely. As opposed to TV writing or something. Like I think yes. you're better off studying academics than studying Hollywood because it changes so much. But this is an ongoing debate for years (laughs) between everyone in Hollywood. And then Liz Janice has my favorite question ever. Why do actors make more than writers? We don't think they should. (laughs) But no, I will say here's the thing about actors versus writers. Yeah. Writers can do more writing in a sense than actors can do acting, right? Yeah. We can sort of go more easily from show to show to show, whereas an actor might have more breaks. Yes, and might only in their entire career have a job on one hit show or not at all. I mean, so many, there are so many great actors who never get that one huge role. There are not many shows that go for five, six, seven seasons. You know, it's just the career trajectory is even harder than ours. <laughs> yes. And also, I'll say many actors don't make more than writers. I mean, yeah. yes, the top, the leads of a show might make more. But many actors who work all the time are not making more than writers are making. Actors make less than they used to. We all make less than we used to, which is why all three guilds are sort of pondering a strike. And of course, there's such a range in what they make. Um, But also, look, when you're the lead of a show, you're the face of the show. You have a lot of pressure. Like, you 
have to keep yourself looking a certain way. You have to go around and do a ton of press. You have to be on set from 5 a.m. to well into the night. We're in Hollywood. You know, obviously many people work harder for much less. But when you look at the landscape of Hollywood, what actors make makes sense. Yes. Well, and they also have to be famous, which sometimes is great and fun and sometimes is really crappy. So I think there's an element there also of just you're getting paid for having to deal with all of these things that come with having your face in front of millions of people every week. Yes, yes. And Janice, that is a perfect question to wrap up with. We will continue this Spring Listener Questions episode next week. Yes, to be continued. We have questions from Kristen and Emily and Michelle and Kat and Sarah and Sarah and Elizabeth. We have questions <laughs> from Sarah and Elizabeth, not us. Elaine and Jay and, and Michelle and on and on. So <laughs> we'll try to be quicker next week. <laughs> we'll do our lightning um, questions. Yes. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Thank you for all of your amazing questions. If you have more questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please follow us if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Oh, Sarah, we forgot to say this, and we have to add this. Okay. Kiara and John are on Rosalind's podcast this week. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes, I can't wait to listen to that one. It's called He Said Ella Dija. Yes, which is He Said, (laughs) She Said in Spanish. And it's Rosalind and her husband, and it's so charming. And I'm very excited to listen this week. From the Onward Project.